0: All right, I like to start today with a riddle. Does anybody like riddles? Good. Well, Happy New Year. We're going to start today with a riddle, and the goal is for you to guess what I am. Hello? There we go. I'm going to read it to you, and then you just guess what I am, all right? I am a morning routine, I am a nightly remedy. I'm something we all should do, but we quite often forget. I'm the thing we say we will do for others, but never actually do. I come in many forms. I've been an abbreviation, a word, a sentence, even a song. Now, a conversation uses me best, but I'm quite often left at just a request. When one is adrift, he sees me as a gift. But when one is rich, he no longer needs me, and he usually tosses me in a ditch. To some, I am merely a task. To others, I help keep them on track. Use me long enough, and I promise... The Heavenly Father will meet you where you're at. Yeah, some of you wanted to say Jesus. I know the answer is not always Jesus, okay? Even in math class at a Christian academy, they might say, two plus two, uh, it's Jesus. No, it's not. It's not Jesus. Yes, the answer is prayer. We're going to be talking about the privilege of prayer today. And I already shared that I think I want to change our mindset, that it's not an obligation. It's a gift, a divine gift, and it's a privilege, we're going to be talking about prayer, and uh, if that riddle was a little confusing, the author, it was me, so I don't know if I wrote it, worded it best, but I tried. I'd like to share a little bit of my story with you a few years ago. Is that okay? All right, so let's go back three years. Uh, Mr. Jeremiah, he's young, he's reckless, he's foolish, and he's in college, and I just... I did one year of college in Florida. I ran away back to California, and then I realized God wanted me back, so I ran back to Florida. My whole family and everything is in California, and I'm back in college, and I'm still trying to finish my degree in biblical studies. And I have the opportunity to go to Israel. Now I know some of you have gone to Israel. I know Blake has taken a team, and I know he'll be taking another group in a few years. Israel's phenomenal. You know, uh, I'll cut to the to the end. I did end up going, but. Israel is amazing. It's mind-blowing. It makes the Bible come to life. It's historic. It's rich. And if you've been once, I'm sure all of you can attest, you have to go back twice. So I know I'm going to go back again because there's just so much there. I can't get enough of it. But I had the opportunity to go to Israel. And knowing me, I grew up pretty poor. I didn't have a lot of money. And I appreciate that, and I know some of us can be blessed in, in wealth and steward it well. But knowing me, if I grew up rich, I would have just been a mess. I would have been uh, the young teenager flying his Mustang off the highway, most likely. But I grew up struggling, and that gave me the privilege and the opportunity to appreciate the value of money and to understand how to work for it, what does it cost to have money, the tool that it is. Not to, uh, not to uh, worship it, but to know it's a tool, to love God, to love God over money. And so I thought I'm poor, I'm never going to probably have a lot of money. I will never leave the US. And if I did, I probably maybe would drive to Canada or maybe drive to Mexico. That's it. I there's no way I'm going to leave the US. And here's this opportunity for the first place to leave the United States. To go all the way across a giant vast of ocean where if you fell in, sharks would just eat you. And it was scary. In a cylinder tube in a place called Israel where I've been growing up studying this book with all this history where our Lord and Savior is born. No way. And then they put a price tag on that. Jeremiah, you're going to need to raise $2,662. And knowing me, making you know, $12 an hour, I'm like, there's no way. I can afford that. And so who do I need to ask for help? God, of course. So I would pray and say, God, please help. And in the little bit of time of a few months of fundraising, I raised a lump sum of $60. And I tucked it in my sock drawer because knowing me, I'm a reckless kid. And one day, I'd be like, oh, there's going to be a cute girl, my wife. He's going to be like, you want to go get some food? I'm like, I better pay for it. And I'm going to take that $60. So I hid it in my sock drawer and say, that's going to take me to Israel. Well, sure enough, I'm five days away from going to Israel. And guess how much I owe? $2,662. I have to pay that. So I'm nervous. I'm scared. And I go to church. And a gentleman comes up to me and he says, Jay, I was praying for you. I saw a few months ago that you said you were going to Israel. And I was praying for you. And God told me that he wanted me to help. He told me this about you. You don't know how to ask for help. And so I'm going to ask for you. And you have to have the boldness to allow me to ask for you. And I believe if I post that on my Facebook and ask for us to bless you, that God will provide more than half of it, I promise you. And I'm like, uh, fine, okay. So we go there, and he asks, he puts it on his Facebook, and I'm, I'm doing my job. I get home, I drive in, and my mentor, Brandon, and his wife come out. They're like, Jay, this is crazy. Have you seen this? I'm like, well, he's like, your post. And it was a young adult page for just a bunch of young adults, which young adults usually don't have that much money. And within 24 hours, $2,002 were raised. I was like, wow. But a little backstory. Me and my my now wife, at the time, were best friends for a long time. And I knew she was going to be my wife. I was going to catch her. I was going to put whatever lure on the bait to reel her in. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how patient I was, no matter how much of a gentleman I was, she was like, you're just a friend. And since I was devoted to dating her, you ever have those people in church that's like, raise your hand if you're in a relationship, raise your hand if you're married, raise your hand if you're single? Raise your hand if you're dating someone, but they don't know that you're dating them. I was like, I'm dating her. I used to work at my restaurant. I'm like, do you have a lady? I'm like, I do. Oh, well, you should bring her around. I'm like, ah, no, she doesn't know that I'm dating her. But I'm committed to her. So sure enough, it got a little awkward. And I was like, you know what, Ashley, if you're not going to date me, this is just not going to be healthy. I'm going to have to cut it off. So I cut it off, but I was so mad. I felt like God told me she was going to be my wife, and I was so bitter and I was so angry. And so I had just raised $2,002, and I go to the Lord to not thank him, but to yell at him. Are you kidding me, God? You're going to give me money. You're not going to give me my wife, which you said she was going to be my wife. What is this, God? I'm sick of it. I hate this. It's ridiculous. And then my mentor knocks on my door. I open the door, and he's like, hey, me and my wife, uh, we wanted to wait until the last minute. Here's $400. (laughs) God, what are you doing? And then I'm like, oh, let me check the mail. It's a letter, $200. I'd raised $2,600. Crazy. And I'm complaining to God. But prayer is not just, oh, holy God, thank you. Sometimes God wants you to bring your burden to him, to bring your complaint to him, to bring your frustration to him. Because in this moment, God answered me. And when he answered me, it wasn't the answer I was looking for. Because I felt... From God's presence, go to Job 38. Job 38, whatever, God. I'm flipping the pages. And then I read this very scary verse of God speaking to a man named Job who lost 10 kids, was sick with sores. His wife says curse God, and his friends think it's because he's sinning when he knows he's not. He has a lot more to complain about than me. And this is what it says. This is God speaking. Who is this who darkens the divine plan by words without knowledge? Now tighten the belt on your waist, Jeremiah, like a man, and I shall ask you, and you inform me. I closed the book. I was like, oh, God. I fell on my knee. I'm like, he's going to drop a piano on me. He's like, I'm sorry, God. I love you. I love you. I love you. And then I just heard God say, count the money, Jay. Count the money. Wow. $2,002, $400, $200. Only $60 left, God. I can afford that. Then I remembered the sock drawer. I don't think Connor's here today, but if you are here, Connor, maybe you're not. Maybe you're watching online. Thank you for that 60 bucks. Okay, so I went in, I got the 60 bucks, and I was mind blown. God had given me the exact dollar amount I needed to go to Israel. So I said, God, you know what? If Ash and I don't work out, you're still God. You're still good. And I'm going to be honest. If I heard you say something and it didn't happen, then I'm going to have to be honest. I misheard you. God is not a liar. Let no man say he's a liar, but I misheard you, God. And I was like, maybe, maybe that's it. By the way, she obviously ended up dating me. She's my beautiful wife. She's the best friend. She's amazing. But at the time, I did not know. And it was even more awkward because she was going on this trip. And I was like, that's only weird. Um, and so <laughs> so pretty much I have the exact dollar amounts. And just because God is so awesome, as my mentor was praying for me, he came and he said, Jay, I was praying for you, and I feel like God wanted you to read Job thirty eight. Let's just pause for a second. In my prayer and in my complaint, God answered me and encouraged me. In my friends praying for me, He was able to open a door to provide the way for me. And if I wasn't praying, would I have seen it as God's hand? No. I would have said, it's just mere luck. But there's four things I want us to know about prayer today. And the first thing is that prayer shows us God's face, it doesn't show us God's hand. Pastor Blake says it a lot. Don't seek the hand of God. Seek the face of God. What that means is don't just seek God, you know, provide for me. God, take care of my needs. God, fix my wife. Or God, help my husband. He's just a jerk. No, no. That's seeking the hand of God. You just want God to fix things. You don't want to know the person that's giving it. But when you pray, you seek the face of God. You will see his hand in your life. Because because I was praying, I was able to see God answer my prayer abundantly. If I wasn't praying, I wouldn't have seen that. If there's one thing I see a lot of people avoiding God, They say, well, God's never done anything for me. And that's sad, because they still have breath in their lungs, and I know God's done something in their life. And if they would have prayed, they probably would have been able to see that. They probably would have been able to notice God doing something in their life, to see it not just as mere coincidences, but say, I prayed for that promotion, and then I got it. Thank you, God, rather than not praying and getting a promotion and saying, it's because I work hard. No. God moves in our lives, but prayer invites us to have communion with him, to see his face. So this man prays, he opens the door for me. I pray, God answers me. And just because God is so good, to confirm that there was no doubt, my mentor says, this is the same verse God wants to encourage you with. Had the exact dollar amount. Now I have stone hedge of stories in my life, of pillars of God doing stuff like that for me. And I understand maybe you don't have that story, but I guarantee you start praying and God will answer you. And sometimes his answer is no, but you'll see his face. Now, I want us to go into Scripture. That's a little bit of my story for you to get to know me a little bit. But, of course, it's important to go to Scripture. And so I want to talk about our friend, our father in the faith, Moses. Some would argue that this person in the Old Testament is the most like Jesus. He's humble. He leads the people. He delivers them from Egypt as Jesus delivers us from our own sins. The people hate him and complain him and want to kill him, right? He makes intercession for the people on the mountain like Jesus makes intercession for us on the cross. You could say Moses is very representing of who Jesus is in the Old Testament. And so Moses is having this opportunity where it he said here in Exodus 33 that now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the Tents of Meetings. If you don't know what the tent is, this isn't just some like little you know, camper tent. It's a big, big tent, and it was the portable temple. If you guys have ever seen images of the first temple or the second temple that Solomon built or that Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt, Okay, this was the very first where it started in the desert, a portable tent where they can move it and you know hike it up. You ever see a wedding under a big tent? It's like that, but on steroids. It's really cool. So that is the tent that Moses has. And because it's the presence of the Lord, if you know a few chapters earlier, God's presence lands on Mount Sinai in thunder and lightning. And it said the people were fearful and it looked like a consuming fire was on the mountain. It's not like God is like just holy and light and clouds. No, this God is a powerful God. And if the Israelites, because of their sin, if they went and they just touched the base of the mountain, dead. was a holy man a man named Moses who had the opportunity to go meet with God and so they pitched this tent and it came about when Moses was outside the tent that all the people would arise and stand and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent when it says gaze it doesn't mean they were looking they were looking in awe in reverence and like oh my gosh that's so cool this is amazing and this pillar this cloud this fire would actually meet in front of the tent because it says later that whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend, descend, stand at the entrance, and the Lord would speak to Moses. When all the people saw this powerful pillar of cloud standing at the entrance, there's a reason why Moses put it away from the camp. It's so scary. They're like, please, keep it away from us, Moses. We're too scared. That the cloud would stand at the entrance of the tent, and all the people would stand in worship at the entrance of their own tents. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. But this is the Old Testament, guys. So I don't know about you. If we were living in that time, I'd be jealous. What would it be like to meet God face to face? What would it be like to be with God face to face? You guys don't need someone like me to bring God to you. You don't need someone like Blake or anyone else to bring God to you. We live in the new covenant, And when Jesus came, he wasn't like Moses with radiance and light on his face, putting a veil over it to maybe make you think he was holier. Jesus came with nothing about him to give glory. He came as a humble man, like a shoot from David, just a little stump out of the ground. And he hung out with the tax collectors. And he hung out and he touched the leopards. And he hung out and he, and he welcomed the prostitutes. And he invited the sinners in. And he called a bunch of low, young, child, failed fishermen. Because most likely, if the disciples were fishermen, it means they failed to be a rabbi. And because they failed to be a rabbi, they were outcasted. Just go fish, have kids, and maybe your kids will be another rabbi. And that's who Jesus welcomes as his disciples to build what we have 2,000 years later today. That's the Jesus we know. And Jesus doesn't say... Hey, you know, you have to only—you have to have your pastor has to be the one to pray for you. No, we can't burden me or Blake or anyone like that. You guys have a gift. Jesus says, "Call no man teacher." Right? Paul says, "You have one teacher and one Lord." The new covenant invites you to pray to God, invites you to have communion to God, to meet with God face to face. Prayer is a gift now. It wasn't like that in the Old Testament. You have the opportunity to meet God like a friend. You have the opportunity to pray in your closet, to pray in your room. Now, I want you all to close your eyes for me. You might not know what leprosy is, but if you do, it's basically your skin is rotting from the inside out, and it's a terrible disease. No cure for it. Do not touch armadillos in the U.S. They might have it. But leprosy is not a good disease. It's the worst it's disgusting, and I tell you what, if someone has bad leprosy, you would smell them before you could see them. Leprosy is no joke. Now, imagine I was generous, and I and mean I bought $5,000 worth of the finest white-as-snow silk, and I began to wrap you in it, and I wrapped you in it. And I just want you to close your eyes and imagine this. If I wrapped you in it, what do you think would happen to yourself? Would you look great? No, no, no. If you open your eyes, you know that we all probably saw the same thing. You probably saw the sores and the body fluids and the blood rotting through the silk. Your righteous deeds is like that on your disease of sin. It doesn't matter how holy your righteous deeds are. You and me are cursed with sin, and it rots through our righteous deeds. Even our righteousness is like filthy rags. But because Jesus died for you, And he took the wrath and the vengeance of God. And he covered you with his blood. You are no longer that person with the leprosy having to hide or perform good works. That's part of having faith in the freedom to do good works. But because we live in the new covenant, you can approach God and he will heal you of your leprosy. You can approach and confess your sins. And he is just to forgive you because he already took care of it. You're just asking for it. You're just receiving the gift he's already given. And I believe prayer is that gift. And another reason why people don't pray is because they're shameful or they're fearful or they don't feel worthy enough. That is a lie. If God did all that so you can enter any time, you don't need a tabernacle, you don't need a tent, you don't need to cover yourself with the blood, you've already received the blood, then he wants you to come to him in sin. He wants you to go, I'm just a broken mess. And he's like, I know. I got you. Now get up and try again. Ah, I'm a mess. I know. He should be our safety. To find him, to receive him. Prayer is a gift. And if you don't believe that, then believe Revelation 3.20 where it says, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and I will dine with him. And he with me. That's the promise of Christ. Moses got to meet with God face to face. Jesus says, I'm going to come and dine with you. I'll come in. And I'll welcome you with my spirit. And my spirit will let you walk out righteousness. And by my spirit, you'll walk out freedom. And by my spirit, you'll taste joy and freedom. Prayer is a gift. Now, the last story I want to talk about is Joshua, the person that proceeds. Basically, Joshua is uh, Moses' little protege. okay? Uh, If you don't know this, Joshua's first name was actually Hosea. Um, Hosea means salvation, Okay. And Joshua, basically is the same name as a salvation, but with Yahweh added. Yahweh is salvation. And if you know what Jesus' name is, Jesus' name is Joshua, Yeshua, Yahshua, different dialects, different times, same name. Why is it that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, would be named after Joshua instead of Moses? Most of the Jews today, they would probably reverence Moses as their greatest leader. Why is Jesus not named David? Why a Joshua? We only have one really main book about him because Joshua truly, truly did something greater than Moses. Moses could take the Israelites out of Egypt, but you take a Joshua to lead them into the promised land. Jesus wants to lead us into rest. He's a greater Joshua. Joshua had the conquest with the sword. And Jesus had the conquest with freedom and love and forgiveness and mercy and the new covenant with the sword from his mouth called truth. He's a greater Joshua. He doesn't kill his enemies. He loves his enemies. King David said, I sit in the table with the presence of my enemies, but Jesus sits with his enemies. Jesus is a greater Joshua. And so with that picture in mind, it's important to, when we read the story of Joshua to see how does this show us a deep relationship with Jesus and God. Let's remember this. Because they're in the Old Covenant, there's this verse I want us to all remember. After Moses had led them through the Dead Sea... And they're at the uh, banks and they're able to walk through the desert. They're going to be doing it for like 40 years before they enter the promised land. The angel of the Lord, which we know is Jesus now, showed up and he says this. Behold, I will send an angel before you and guard you on your way and bring you to the place I have prepared. I'm going to bring you to rest. But pay careful attention to him, the angel of the Lord, and obey his voice. Just so you know, Joshua was following the pre-incarnated Jesus into the promised land. Jesus not only led the Israelites into the promised land, but then he came as a man and he led us from our sin. So Jesus is still here actually leading Joshua. Joshua, who's going to foreshadow who Jesus really is. And he says, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him. Are you ready? For he will not pardon your sins, your transgression, for my name is in him. Okay, he's made it clear. You sin, so. No forgiveness, I ain't pardoning your sins while you're in the desert. Okay? Follow me. Pay careful attention. If not, I'm done. I'm not gonna dwell with you. That just says right after that that he will be an enemy to their enemies. But if they sin, right, he will not side with them. He won't protect them. So keep that in mind. We fast forward many books later to Joshua. Let me read this. Joshua is approaching Jericho. Anybody know Jericho? We know it's a fortified city and a wall. But Jericho got its richness and its sin and its filth from the river that flowed north from Babylon. If you know Babylon in the Bible, if you ever hear some Christian go, don't live in the world, but live in Jesus. It says the Babylon was like the world. To the Jews and the Israelites. When you said Babylon, it was an archetype. Although it was a real place, Babylon is not a place you want to mess with. It's full of sin, filth, child sacrifice, rape, murder. It's nasty, it's terrible, and God needs to deal with that sin. And so the Israelites show up to Jericho, and Jericho is basically holding daddy's hands with Babylon. So Jericho is partaking of the same sins. And this is what God tells the Israelites, rightly so. He says, Um, in Joshua six eighteen, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you devoted them, you take any other devoted things and make a camp in Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Now, I want you to look at that word trouble in the Hebrew. That word is akon. Do not bring akon upon it. That is the Hebrew word for trouble. If you know the story of Joshua, we're going to be introduced to somebody named A akon. It's foreshadowing of what's about to play out. He said that if you take any of the gold or anything out of that place of Jericho that's built for destruction, then you have partaken of Babylon. And how can a holy God have wrath against Jericho? And if Israel does the same sin, go, I'm just going to forget about it. No, he has to deal with it. And he says he's not going to pardon their sins if they mess up. So he warns them, don't do it. Don't bring a con upon yourselves. Well, let's see what happens about a chapter later. But the sons of Israel, after they took over Jericho, acted unfaithfully regarding the things designated for destruction. For Achan, Achan, the son of Carmine, the son of Zabi, the son of Zerah, and from the tribe of Judah, took some of the designated things. And therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Most of us read that passage and we're going to think to ourselves, oh, this must mean that if one person sins, the whole body is affected. Do your sins have consequences? Yes. But that is not maybe the correct takeaway out of this. This is actually about how God dwells with an unfaithful people. When they're doing it right and their sins are covered, he stays with them. And when they sin, he's a holy God. He has to judge sin in the, the, the transgression. And so he removes himself. So in order to stay in communion with God in the old covenant, you have to do everything that the covenant says. That's how it works. This is going to show the weakness Of the old covenant. This is gonna show why God knew he had to bring a new covenant. Let's see what happens. This happens, they take it, they destroy Jericho, they won, hippie, yippee, yaga, ray, you know, they're happy, and they go into battle not long later against a place called Ai. It's way smaller, way weaker than Jericho, and so the people say, Just send out a few soldiers, we'll take care of them, and they get slaughtered and they retreat. Joshua goes to God and he's like, What the heck? I just defeated the Greeks. And i can 't defeat a farm town. Well, what is this? God says, "Well, what did I say? Somebody sinned, and it has to be dealt with or i 'm going to leave you. I cannot dwell with the holy people you 're meant to be set apart, and if you become the world, then I have to do it again. I have to restart can 't be you if you want to be you can 't be Babylon and you can 't be israel you can 't be set apart from the world, and you can 't be a christian it 's the same truth today, and so Joshua's like, you know, takes his sword. He leads the conquest. He said, finds this man. And he goes and he says to Achan, by the way, the name Achan, it's a little bit different from the word akor, which is sin, which means to bring trouble. So akan means he that bringeth trouble. That'd be a terrible name. I'd hate to be called Achan. And so he goes to Achan and he says, My son. So now you know that there is an intimate relationship with the people of Israel, they don't hate Achan. But they're like, hey, my son, tell me what you've done. Tell me if you've sinned against the Lord. And let's see Achan's response. Let's see if Achan acts like a good Christian. He says, truly, I have sinned against God. And this is what I've done. I've stolen, spoiled, beautiful clock, 200 shekels, a bar of gold waiting, 50 shekels. And I coveted them, and I took them. And you can see they're hidden in the earth under my tent. Sounds like a repentance to me. He says, I've sinned against God. Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, I've screwed up, I've messed up, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I've done. How many of you repent, but you don't say exactly what you've done? Hey, I'm sorry I did this, but you're not really detailed about it. He's detailed. He's like, this is exactly what I've done. Well, surely this is God. He's going to forgive him, right? This is the old covenant. He doesn't pardon sin. And so what did they do? They stoned him and his family. Well, they say, why did you stone the family? Well, if he hid the stuff under his family's tent, then you would have known that his family would have been very aware that he was hiding it. And so they partook of the same sin. So God commands Joshua, and they stone the family, they kill the family, and they erect a large heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned his fierceness and anger away. And the name of that place is called the Valley of Accor, the Valley of Trouble. They call that the Valley of Trouble. I don't know about you, but when I read that, it scares me. How in the heck? you may have communion with God because if I was walking and saw a lot of gold I might want to take a coin and put it in my pocket it's really not that big of a deal right and his whole family was stoned and they put a big pile of rocks on it so everyone saw that is the valley of trouble be careful to do everything God says but praise God that is not the last word about the valley of trouble you see we have one last story in the future with Hosea remember the original name of Joshua was Hosea so you can see Hosea and Joshua should be read together. It can make a beautiful encouragement. We know the story of Hosea. Hosea is commanded to marry a prostitute, Gomor, and he loves her even though she continues to sin and go back and prostitute herself. And Hosea is referencing God towards us. That even when we love God, we go and we sin again and again. And so listen to this. This is what God's promises to Gomor, but it's actually to his people, you and me. And let's read what it says. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her and there i will give her vineyards are you ready and make the valley of Accor a door of hope the valley of trouble i'll make a door of hope and i will bring a new covenant that day from the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heavens and the creepy things of the ground are you ready i will abolish the bow I'm going to destroy the weapons that kill humans. I'm going to take away the sword. I will remove war from the land, and I will make you, my holy people, lie down in safety. This is a promise for a future rest. From our trouble, our valley of trouble, God promises rest. We know that's going to come when our Lord returns, but it's happening now. It continues to happen from generation to generation. Us as Christians, as we enter into prayer, we are bringing God's kingdom. You're like a little Wi-Fi hotspot bringing heaven down, okay? Some of you might be like one bar of like LTE, you know? and you know metro or whatever okay some of you might be like 4g okay and i don't think any of us can make it to 5g but when we pray we enter into that little wi-fi hotspot of heaven's presence of god and we bring his kingdom now and we can enter rest in suffering we can enter rest in brokenness and when you sin praise god when you look at your heap of stones you say god thank you that you've made this hope because that testimony you've taken care of that you're not going to stone me so guess what this is what i've done everybody i was a sinner i was an alcoholic I was a drug addict I was addicted to porn I was all these things and now I am freed so let me share that gospel with you so you can be freed the valley of our trouble can be a door of hope if we take on the yoke and the new covenant of Jesus prayer for my third point is an open door and that's most of my main points for you but the last thing I want to answer because there's one last point I want to make is a simple question then we know these things. Why don't we pray? Why not? I was reading a poll, and I'm paraphrasing. I didn't write it down. I probably should have, but it says that out of 100% of people in America that do pray, that majority of them pray once every other week, and 30 to 40% pray, like, once a month. It was only, like, 20-something percent, 24% that actually prayed weekly, and then it was, I think, maybe, I don't know, 10, something like that, that prayed daily. It's pretty sad, don't you think? I don't know about you, but there's a lot we can pray for in our country. There's a lot we can pray for in our own families. And the brokenness we bring, there's a lot we can pray for. As a matter of fact, Jesus says when he enters the temple that my house, when we gather, should be a house of people, of prayer. And if you enter into this church and you fold your arms during worship and you might write down a note or listen to a nice TED talk from Blake or me or someone else, but you didn't even pray when you designated one time in your week to come together, And that's sad. And I believe, everyone says New Year and New Me, but I was encouraged last night from a good friend. It's not New Year New Me. It's New Year, same God. And the same God invites you into his presence. And he invites you to pray. And so I want us to talk about something. John Bunyan says that prayer causes one to cease from sinning. Struggle with sin? Pray. But sin causes one to cease from praying. If you're living in sin, let me guess. You don't like praying. But if you pray and you have walked away from sins, let me guess, you prayed a lot and God freed you. I want us to read a statistic that was done. Um, Before that, I want us to know this, that Romans 12 says this, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what the will of God is. Some of you don't pray because you don't know what the will of God is. I don't know, I don't know. Well, if you read the word, you can pray. And I guarantee you, if somebody's reading the word, they're praying as they read. Because when I read the word with my wife, we are like, wow, that's cool. What does that mean? And it encourages me to pray. So reading and praying are tied together. So I want us to talk about how reading the word can change our mind. It can change our prayer life. You don't know what God's will is for you or how to pray for the will? Read the word. So... Uh, There was a study for Center for Bible Engagement, and they pulled 40,000 people from ages 8 to 80, and they wanted to talk about the effects of reading Scripture. And and I'm going to tie this into prayer because I truly believe these people that are reading Scripture as this, I guarantee you they're praying. And if they're not praying that much, if you add prayer into this, then I guarantee you'll see a greater result. They said this, that a person in Scripture time with the Lord once a week, negligible effect. That's it. That might be today for most of us, Right? The second thing is in Scripture, twice a week, negligible. Sometimes i am like am like a, I'm like a two timer, maybe three timer. Me, yeah, I really, I'm busy. I get distracted, so maybe I read once during the week, or one night, or one morning, okay. And I don't, con- I mean, I consider when I prepare things to be in the Word, but there's a difference when I could just be alone with God in the Word when I mean, I'm not preparing for my classes and everything. In Scripture, three times a week, pretty much negligible, but a little heartbeat, like me, like they see tiny, tiny, tiny effects. Man, three times a week? There's nothing? Well, what's interesting is when someone's in Scripture four or more times a week, we're going to see massive effects. Four or more. It's like almost the same, okay? And you'd think it'd go like one time a week, two times a week, but no, it's like. But when it's a habit, four times a week, we see this jump on the charts, and they, they notice this, okay? People that are in Scripture four or more times a week, loneliness drops 40%. Feeling lonely? Loneliness drops 40%. Anger, when you're reading scripture four times a week, dealing with anger towards your family or at work, drops 32%. Bitterness in relationships, whether it's your wife, whether it's your kids, family, or workplace, whatever it is, it drops 40%. Struggling in your marriage, you're bitter, you feel trapped. 15 years later, you guys are bored of each other. Praying with your wife four more times a week, reading scripture four more times a week, I guarantee you, God will rot away that bitterness. He'll remove it. Alcohol drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. When I talk to people, a lot of times, even myself and my friends, one thing I hear consistent amongst the board is: man, I'm just feeling spiritually stagnant. I don't know. Like I believe in God and I'll pray, but whatever. How much are you reading? Are you in the word? Are you praying? Because those who read. Four times a week, or in time with God, four or more times, feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. You want to feel like you're walking out this faith, the real deal? 60%. When you're just in the Word, four times. You got three off days. That's a good job. Ready? Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's massive. The new drug today ravages relationships in, in people more than you would know. And that drops 61% by the power of God. I guarantee you these people aren't reading to, to stop these things. They're just reading. They're just like, I love you, God. And their mind isn't on being angry. Their mind isn't dwelling on bitterness. It's dwelling on the work of God. And these things are just removing, falling off and of Shackles are breaking just by renewing your mind. Now, on the positive side, this is what I'm really excited to share with you today. And I believe if we... Oh, my gosh, if we could get a hold of this, of course, this building, but every single church in this town, every building, okay, the C Church, capital C, what we're doing, it's going to be massive. Just bought a dedicated Christian, which I believe all Christians should just be in the word, right? And I know we struggle, and I'm convicted of it, too, but if we are just being decent followers of Christ in the scripture, sharing your faith jumps 200%. 200%. What does that mean? That means because they're in the Word, they have such a confidence in the Scripture and of who God is that they're just sharing their faith. They're just talking at work, and it's like, what are you doing? Man, God shared some, something great, you know, let me encourage you with that. Oh, I don't really need it. All right, man, well, can I just pray for you? Oh, okay, fine. Great. Powerful. Jumps 200%. That's pretty much any single person they met reading four or more times, they're all sharing their faith. Yeah, I do it all the time. I share my faith. Imagine if I was reading Scripture four or five times a week. How much more would I do that? All right, this one is also more exciting discipling others jumps 250%. If I were to just ask, raise your hand if you feel like you don't really have someone that's pouring into you. Raise your hand if you're not really pouring into someone. Every church has an issue with that. Oh, we got to create small groups. We got to we got to do this. I don't think we need to preach small groups. I don't think we need to preach. Oh, like try and do it or just reach out. I believe you're in Scripture. Not only do you begin to share your faith, but you begin to disciple others. Okay, and so if you all the older generation, if you start reading your Scripture in time with God four times a week, you're just gonna want to pour into us younger people with our woke mindsets and our crazy ideologies. And you're like, let me fix you because this is not good. You know, I just. This is exciting, guys. Look at these facts. Prayer, the last thing, causes things to happen. Now, I don't know how this works, guys. I don't. I've had a lot of fun being able to study the theology of time with God. God has to be outside of time. If He's outside of time, then it means everything that was meant to happen will already happen, and he knows it. So when I pray, he already knows what's going to happen, so why pray? It's not a good answer. All I know is in Scripture, James says, pray for others that they may be healed. Now, James is the only New Testament book that is like a Proverbs. It's not a guarantee, okay? You read the Proverbs, honor your mother and father. You have a long life. What about my eight friends in high school that died in car accidents? Some of them are great kids. Two full-ride scholarships. We know that even when we follow God's will, the world is broken. There's a paradox with sin. And even if we do God's way, it doesn't work. All the disciples, right? They were definitely honoring. They were young, and they all died gruesome deaths. It doesn't always work. But James says, pray, and the sick will be healed. Anoint oil, and they'll be freed. He says, just do it. So when you pray for sickness, and you're like, well, God didn't do it last time, that's not the answer. My whole idea of prayer has changed, because what he says is somehow in God's sovereign will, he has made it possible to say, yeah, I could do whatever I want. I'm God. I don't need you, but I've chosen you, and I want you, and I'm going to give you a gift. You pray to me. And I might do it. I'm going to actually give you the chance that if you pray to me, I am just to forgive. No matter what, no matter what sin you're in, it does say that when you pray, he is just to forgive. When you come to the Lord and confess your sins, he's like, I'm going to do it no matter what. The most quoted verse in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32, is that the Lord is slow to anger, merciful, and abounding in steadfast love. In Jeremiah, uh, God tells Jeremiah, don't tell the people to pray for forgiveness. So that I can pour out my wrath on them. What? God's saying that my forgiveness over proceeds my wrath. My kindness is greater than my vengeance. So if you pray to me and I'm like, you are so sinful. And uh, and you pray to me, oh, I just love you. Here you go. I'll forgive you. His loveness and his, sorry, it's not a word. His love and his grace is abundant over his wrath. That's what Jesus is. His freedom comes from the sword of his mouth to give you life. So come to him and confess your sins in prayer. And if you're sick, let's pray. It might not happen this time, but it might happen next time. Just do it. You don't know. It's not like, well, he we didn't do it last time. It must not be in his sovereign bowl. No, just keep doing it, and it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, well, then you tried. But I've seen miracles happen. I prayed for a lady in a wheelchair, and she ran across the room. I prayed for a lady's cousin who had stage 3 cancer and was going in for a checkup. And that Monday, call it coincidence, but it was all gone. I've seen God work, and maybe you have too. But I've also prayed. Things haven't happened. Me and my wife have dealt with health issues. God hasn't healed. But we also had other health issues when we were in Israel that God healed. All I know is I'm going to pray. I'm going to keep praying. New Year, saying, God, I hope these four things. Prayer causes things to happen. Prayer is a gift prayer is an open door and when you pray you'll see the face of God and so Cody if you want to come up um, I understand I don't know it's probably a little late so sorry for preaching at least I'm not as long as the Avatar movie but (laughs) three hours I actually liked it I thought it was good but I, I just want to encourage us as a church it says the Lord's house is a house of prayer and I know that if Jesus, we want to have Jesus enter this room, then let's just listen to his words. And let's make this today, first day of 2023, a place of prayer. And so in this moment, when he plays, feel free. You can stay in your chairs if you want, no judgment or anything. But if you want to confess sins, then sure, grab someone. And if you feel led to confess it to someone, you can do that. Or you can confess to God. You come up here and confess. If you need prayer, just raise your hand, go find someone. There's so many people around the room. It doesn't matter if I don't know who that person is and i want to say, pray for me because he's a brother in Christ and I know that he has a divine relationship with God where God can meet with him as a friend. I don't need a Moses, I don't need a David. I can just grab someone, pray with me, right? If you are praying and you feel led to pray for someone, please get up and go pray for that person. And if you just wanna have time to be intimate with the Lord right now, then just I encourage you right now to pray. But I truly believe, guys, that if we remember these things, We don't need to fix, I want to be healthy this year. I want to work out. I want to do these things. I don't think we need to do that. Because when we're just solid Christians in the word, when we're motivated, we're happy, we're not lonely, we're not depressed, we're not bitter, we're not addicted to things. And so when we're freed from that, we want to be healthy, so we work out. We want to be kind at work, so we do it. We're able to forgive, so we don't let bitterness harbor in our hearts. And so let's not worry about all these goals. Let's just try and say, God, I just want to be, an honest Christian that lives in the word, and so I'm going to pray, you can bow your heads with me and then you can stand up, walk around the room, pray for others, confess. Heavenly Father, good God, I ask right now Lord 2023 that this year we remember the same God whose love oversees anger, whose kindness leads us to repentance and I just ask right now, Father, that if there's any confession we need, we come before you and you promise. Not because we're doing a good confession, but because you've already done it. You have to. You say, I've taken care of it. You're forgiven. And I pray that if you need to pray for someone, we're not scared, but we walk out in our sharing our faith. And we disciple someone else in this room. And we pray over them a blessing. We pray over them healing. And if we're sick, we say, please pray for me. God, maybe today's the day it happens. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name. Jesus I'm not going to say amen because it's not over yet we're going to pray and we're going to start this year right we love you father